the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1800gambler or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1877770stop for Louisiana 1800270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 18778hopeny or text hopeny for New York Tennessee Redline 1800889 9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. How are you doing today? What's going on? Uh, I'm good. I had a, my podcast for Flow Wrestling Radio Live this morning, and then I went and got a quick workout in, and then I showered, and here I am. <laughs> Just getting it done, checking it all off. Are you like on the media circuit right now with your book being out? Are you like a little talked out about it? No. Uh, well, I'm excited. I said to talk to you because uh, you're not from the MMA background. I've only talked to a couple people not from the MMA, so it's always interesting like hearing another perspective. Um, but yeah, we did that last week, and then I've been doing a few other interviews. Uh, but no, it's not too much. So you have your new book. Um, let me, of course, pull up. I know funky, but I don't want to mess up the rest of it. So funky, my defiant path through the wild world of combat sports, um, which there it is. Great title. Oh, yeah. It's my wife's copy. <laughs> so it's funny. So I also released a book through um, Permuted Press. Um, so same, same deal. And I also gave them a title. Mine's longer than yours, but they're like, can you make it not a run on sentence for this title? And I was <laughs> like, listen, I can't pick one. Did you have a hard time figuring out what you wanted the title to be? Cause I felt like that was the hardest part. Yeah, I agree. Cause it just, um, it feels like there's nothing that fits, you know? And then, uh, when me and uh, the other guy helped me write this, when we came up with this, I was really happy and I, I thought it, it sounds good and it's very descriptive of what I feel my career was. 
I'm a big fan of like that little like subtitle. It's like, here's the gist, yes. but da 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 da, having that little sentence yes. on there. Um, so the book is out already an Amazon bestseller. Yeah, thank you. Hell yes. Um, how excited were you when you were able to like open up your phone, your computer, whatever, to like see that news? It was cool because I actually started this as a Corona project. You know, we had our, so my brother, I own five wrestling academies and they got shut down and we couldn't do anything. I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? I need to stay busy. Uh, I don't do well being not busy. And so I was like, hey, uh, how about I write a book? And so I contacted uh, one of the, my favorite MMA writers and I said, hey, do you want to do this? And he said, yes. And we got started. And I thought, you know, I don't know, six months, nine months, we'll be done with it, you know? And uh, yeah, now two plus years later, we are, we're done with it. <laughs> It really is crazy, like what that process is like from like conception of, oh, I'm going to start doing something like I wrote a cookbook. So mine was like a different where I was like, also, I didn't know how to write a cookbook, but <laughs> it was less pen to paper. I was like trying out recipes, whatever. But yeah, when you like actually start. And so had you been like documenting stuff the whole like through your whole career? Were you big into that? Not really. I mean, I had done a bunch of vlogging. Uh you know, and maybe a couple of years ago, I, I don't do it anymore. But no, never really kind of documenting. It's, I, I kind of got a good memory. And I, I, I feel like when <laughs> we were going through my life, I remembered it all relatively correctly. Um, once we were finished with the book, I let my wife and my mom and my dad and my brother and my high school wrestling coach, I let them all read it. And, you know, there was very minimal changes that they suggested. And I, and I think the few, they weren't factual, right? They were like opinion pieces or, hey, maybe you should add that. You forgot about this little thing. You know, because one of the things I think when you're writing a book, when you think about your life that you don't realize is, number one, what's meaningful to other people? And I'm sure this happens to you when you meet someone, you know, you meet someone and they'll say, oh, 15 years ago, this and this happened. And you said this and you're like, wow, like I totally forgot about that because it was just like something that happened. It wasn't that meaningful, but to that person it was. And then number two would be you're writing your book. It's like, oh, my God, there's like seven other stories I could tell on every story. You know, I could just keep going. And you right, gotta, it's hard to like stay on track. Yeah, you got to cut it down because you realize like, you know, all this was my life. But if it's a thousand pages, no one's going to read it. You know, mine's I think it's like a 196, <laughs> yeah. I think is what my book is. And it's like, yeah, feels long, you know, but it feels like on every single little bit, I could like I could talk more about this person that helped me or I could tell the, the rest of this story and. Yeah, so the whole thing kind of felt like that. Thank God you were able to like remember as much as you did. I mean, not only given your profession, but like in general, like my Wait, my mind was that a brain trauma joke? <laughs> I feel like I can get a pass with that. So my husband's a professional wrestler, and he also wrote a book through uh, Permuted Press, and he's like you, where like his memory, he remembers everything in like minute detail. Like he can really like harken back to certain things. I am so not that way. And <laughs> I don't think I've ever been hit in the head. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's funny. I think when you're like kind of going back through those stories and like being like, especially as time passes too, like, do, am I remembering that accurately? Yeah. Did that go the way that it did? Were you a little bit nervous passing the book off to your friends and family and stuff um, to see how that was going to match up? Hmm. No, I, I think... Um Man, I, I, maybe, maybe I'm crazy and I'm biased and I thought I nailed it, but I, you know, I, I feel like I got <laughs> mostly it. factually correct. Um, <laughs> so no, I wasn't too nervous on that part. And I, you know, I think there, there was one part that my, my wife really hated. Um, and we actually made that not factually correct to what it was. And the, the thing was in high school, um, I had this big obnoxious hair, um, really huge afro. 
Uh, oh yeah, I think I think it's in the book picture somewhere. Um, and well, it, I was rewatching your documentary the other night too, and I was like, look at that thing just go through the helmet! Like, wow, what a piece! Yeah, let's see if I can find it for real. But so, oh yeah, right here, this is perfect. <laughs> look at this. Look at that hair right there. <laughs> Crazy. So I had this big obnoxious hair, and wrestling fans they hated it. You know, they want people to be like short haircut, real serious all the time, and that's not who I was. And I could take, I could always take the heat. I didn't give a damn what people said. Um, but my mom was more like, she felt it more than me. You know, when people said something bad about me, she felt it. And I didn't. I was like, roll, roll off my back, whatever. I don't give a damn. So there's this one conversation where we had where she had a picture of me and she's like, look how ridiculous you look. Everyone thinks you should cut your hair. And I remember saying, I don't know if I can swear on this pot. Should, should, yeah, go for it. Okay, you're swear. good. I, I remember I said, mom. I'm not cutting my fucking hair because some people want me to. That's not going to happen, you know? And my wife hated that sentence because my mom actually didn't care because my mom knew that that's what happened, you know? And we wrote it as such. And then my wife said, you know, there's going to be high school kids and middle school kids reading this book and they can't hear you speaking that way to your mother. (laughs) And you know what? I actually agreed with her, um, although... Um, you know, it, it is what factually happened. So we changed it to be like, I'm not cutting my stupid hair or something to that effect, a little less more benign. Gosh, good for you and good for her. Um, I know you have, you've got kids, young kids. Um, I have a daughter. She's only 16 months right now, a year and a half. I don't, when do you stop saying the months? I don't know. Anyways. Um, do you ever swear around your kids? I think about this all the time. I do. I do. Have they picked up on it? My wife and I debate this a lot because I'm not emotionally tied to my position, but I think logically I am. So her family never, ever, ever swore. None, like zero almost. And my family swore significantly. And, um, you know, and so I, where I take it as two things. I said, number one, um, hopefully my kids should be intelligent enough to, to understand the situation. Because, for example, I don't swear when I'm coaching little kids at the wrestling academy. I don't swear. I'm not their parent, so I don't not going to determine what they should and shouldn't hear. I'm just not going to say it. So that would be, you know, like I understand position and time. And then number two, I think tone matters because you can say something hatefully with a swear word, and you can say something hatefully without a swear word, but you're still saying it hatefully. You know, so it's like tone matters, time and place matter, all that stuff matters, and I, I view them as just words. See, I'm the same way. Like, I don't really overthink it, but like every day I'm like, oh my God, I need to stop swearing around my daughter. Like, I'll be yelling at the dogs. I'm like, this motherfucker. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I need to stop. Because she's like, I mean, she's really starting to pick up words. I'm like, she's just going to start rattling these off. But like, I'm kind of on your boat, on the same boat as you, where it's like, think like trying to let them know like all right this is when you swear also it's not for you I'm allowed to say it you can say it you know when you're old or whatever but yeah it's crossing that bridge but it's like as a new parent I'm always like oh god what what are the rules yeah my oldest is nine and a half going on ten and she's she's kind of bright and she you know she hates it when I swear and so I, I try not to do it around her but sometimes it's like hey Alex I'm an adult and I, I can swear I don't expect you to swear at this point, but you know, if, hey, you get to be a teenager and, you know, so we've had this talk, the same talk that <laughs> her, you know, me and Amy, my wife have, I've had with her because I think she's intelligent enough to hear it now. And, you know, she chooses not to swear. So whatever, that's fine. Which is nice. It's nice. Yeah. See, I kind of place a little bit of the blame on my mom because when we were really, like when we were really little, my mom swears like a sailor too. Um, 
But when we would like say I'd like stub my toe or hurt yourself, or she goes, okay, you got one minute where you can say whatever you want. And we would just <laughs> let it fly. But it was like for that time in that moment. <laughs> Anyways, a colorful uh, vocabulary. Apparently it's a funny. sign of intelligence. I don't know. That, that's the one I try to use. And, and and they've been proven you're more trustworthy also. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, there, there's correlation between trustworthiness uh, and intelligence and foul language. I like that. I'm like a vault. Yes. I think I'm pretty trustworthy. You trustworthy? Uh, I believe so, yes. I didn't really intend on this going into a, a thing about swearing. But anyways, back on track, back to the book. Um, what was the hardest part to write for you? Was there anything like revisiting story-wise that was like dredging up some stuff that maybe you didn't want to think about or talk about again? No, I mean, obviously, you know, I had a couple of losses I didn't really love at the end of my career. And so having to rehash those um, was it's not ideal. But yeah, it wasn't that bad because I, I, I'm i like, you know, I think one of the things people really enjoyed about me when they got to know me was just like, I'm a reality guy. Like, hey, if it happens, it happens. And then once it happens, it's not like you can change it, you know? So you just, that happened. You're going to live with it. You're going to accept the fact that it happened. You're not going to dwell on it. Um, and you're going to move on. And so, you know, I think I'd come to peace with some of those things that happened. And I think that's what some people appreciate about me because I think... I think there's two things. There's a lot of people who have a lot of trouble getting over something like that, and they just keep reliving it and they keep dwelling on it. And then even more than that, I think there's a lot of people who never start things because they have a fear of what may happen, right? So they'll never even do it. They'll never even put themselves in that position because they're scared. What might happen if I try this or do this? You know, I could fail. This could happen. People might talk about me. And it's like, dude, it's like, live your life the way you want to live your life and then deal with the repercussions. I mean, that seems like it's obviously been your motto from like day one. You have done you to the fullest. You do things your own way entirely from from your wrestling style to who you are as a person. Um, obviously a very confident man. Has there ever been a time that you like weren't confident? That you like struggled uh, yeah, with some course. stuff? Like no, what? of course. Um, well, I think early, so early in my life, and one of the things I love about sport wrestling is I think it was the first place to give me a lot of confidence mm -hmm. because I figured out that if I worked hard, I put my mind to something, I could be good at it, right? And I was just kind of like, I, and this is why I think I dealt with failure well later because when, when I was young, I wasn't like one of those prodigy kids where everyone's like, oh, he's going to be really, really good or he's this or he's... I was, prodigy? I was, I've never heard that word before. Oh, so I, I, said, I said, sometimes I speak to you as, as a prodigy. Oh, prodigy. Yeah. I was like, what's prodigy. prodigy? Is that a term I don't know? Prodigy. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, my bad. Um, yeah, so I was never that kid. And so I just was like, hey, I'm going to keep showing up, but I'm going to keep trying to get better. And that that's who I am. And so I, I think I developed confidence through wrestling. Is like if I work hard and I do the right things, then I'm going to start seeing positive results from what I'm doing, you know? And then I learned I learned to take that into other areas of my life. If I just work hard and I do the right things, um, I, I, you know, I'd be a problem solver. I figure out what's the problem, how do I solve it? That stuff's gonna work in my favor a lot. Um, and then I guess I talk I talk a lot, because uh, I coach all eight, you know, I coach five to 18 years old now, and I, I help our college guys a lot too, but middle school's the worst for everyone, I think. Oh my middle God. school kids are just mean. The worst, <laughs> They're the worst. They're just this <laughs> level of like, they're not mature yet. They're kind of insecure still. And so they like take those insecurities and lack of maturity out on other people because they're feeling it themselves and they don't want people to look at them. Um, so I, th I think everyone had that. But growing up now, I mean, I would say I felt like some insecurity and a little bit of lack of confidence compared to where I felt my other times in my life. But when I compare that to what other people said they felt, like mine was minor. You know what I'm saying? Like other people were paralyzed by what do I wear to school today? 
for example, or who do I go hang out with or, you know, things like that. And like, I mean, I'm sure I felt those things a little bit, but not, not to this, the level or extent that other people did. Yeah, I, I know. I can kind of like relate to that too, where like, I feel like I always kind of knew where I fit in to a degree or like, I've never really had a hard time like making friends. So like that was never too much of a difficult thing for me. So yeah, I know when you hear those stories about other people, like just like struggling with social anxiety or trying to fit in, like you said, like thinking about like just simple things like what to wear, like, oh my gosh, these poor kids. Yeah. Middle school <laughs> is rough. It is rough in those middle school streets. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that comes from parents, you know, parents too, just like, and, I've, you know, I had great parents. Unfortunately, not everyone does who just, you know, the kids have a sense of like they're loved and they're going to be taken care of. And then, you know, so if they don't maybe they don't fit in at school, it's not the end of the world. Right. Because they still have their family. Um, you know, so I was I was, I guess, lucky in that way. Um, and maybe not everybody is. Gosh, you know, it's funny. I was um, uh, I'm assuming you're are you friends with Misha Tate? I know her. I don't know. Oh, like, okay. Friends might be a little too much. But yeah, I mean, like I'm friend, friendly with her, I would say. I just like kind of assumed through like one championship and stuff that maybe you guys would have. Did you guys cross paths there? I left before she came over, I believe. I think that's, yeah, if I'm, I'm close there. Okay. Yeah. Cause she had just sent me this podcast to listen to on like parenting. Uh, and it was this whole thing about that of like creating like that. Uh, this is not meant to be a parenting podcast, by the way. Let's do it. I got three kids. <laughs> But it is, it's really funny though. I think when you think of like the traits that you pass on to another person, I mean, obviously you're such a great example of that, of like persevering, working for things that you want, like kind of going back to the well to put in that work. Honestly, people like you fascinate me that don't like, that didn't have necessarily that like God-given talent to just go out and had all of those tools. You busted your ass to do every single one of those things. Was there ever a time that you did kind of think, maybe this isn't for me and I'm not going to do this? Well, I was, I was going to go back to the parenting podcast, but I'll answer Let's that go. question. Let's go. No, take it back. Well, I, had take it back. Great, I had this great parenting moment this weekend because my nine-year-old, was uh, she was procrastinating about doing some math homework because she didn't want to do it. And we kind of had like a little bit of an argument about it on Saturday. And then Sunday morning, I woke up and she was like, Dad, I was going to watch a show this morning. And then I heard you... I heard you say, I heard your voice in my head and I went and got my math homework done and I'm done with it. Yes. yes that's what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> so that was great. Hell yeah. There's nothing like being able to fully relax and enjoy the thing that you want to enjoy when you know that you already did the work so you can just like be in that enjoyment mode. Really is. I so, love that. Um, no, for me, it was my, my freshman year of college. I, I talk about it a lot in the book. Um, so by the end of high school, I, you know, I had starting to achieve at really high levels. I went to college with really, really big aspirations. And then I was like, getting my ass kicked in the room every day. And I talk about this a lot in like, wrestling is unique in the sense that there's not really another sport like it at the college level. Like if you're not the guy, you know, if you're in basketball, go sit on the bench. If you're in football, go sit on the bench. If you're in some like track and field, you're just kind of like looking at the people running in front of you because they're faster, you know? And in wrestling, if you're not the guy, you're getting face rubbed in the mat every day, you know? So it's like, you're getting physically dominated. And you can't do anything about it. It sucks. And so, yeah, my, my first semester of college was a lot like that. I lost a lot of matches that I didn't want to lose. I was getting my butt kicked in the room every day. And that was kind of, um, you know, I talked about earlier about hard work, but then also about problem solving. And that, that problem solving and creating scrambling. And essentially, I kind of created a new style of wrestling by, and it wasn't, I didn't create all the moves, but I, I, I studied a lot of people and I was like, oh, I can use that. Oh, that will be good for this. And I kind of like aggregated a lot of the things that were happening. And put them into like a singular package, essentially. And then I was able to tie certain things together. 
And that was when I really like, I started, you know, getting really good, really, really fast. I don't know if you talk about this in the book, but I know you talk about in your documentary, The Funk, um, when you're talking about how you would picture these these uh, these wrestling matches and they would just be going on in your head, whether it was you, whether you're watching somebody else. Um, was that ever a thing that kind of got in the way of socialization for you because you were so laser focused on wrestling? No, because I didn't care. <laughs> like, I feel like you'd be like out on a date and like just be zoned out. And I'm saying this because I'm married to a wrestler that sometimes I'm like, are you fucking with me? What's happening right now? And I know he's thinking about a promo. He's thinking about a match he's doing. Do you ever get lost in it? Half the time my wife says, what are you thinking about? It's like, oh, wrestling. Yeah, it's like that meme of like the woman looking over. She he must be thinking about other women. No, thinking about tying somebody up in a knot and doing whatever. <laughs> yeah, so no, I was, so I, was, I was very singularly focused on being good at wrestling. So other things may have tried to get in the way of wrestling, but wrestling never got in the way of anything else because it, it was the thing. It was the way. I was relatively good at school, uh, meaning I didn't have to like try that hard to be good at it. And I picked a relatively easy major in geography. So I didn't have to like try, put a lot of mental effort into school to get, you know, I got like a 3.2. I wasn't on a roll. What do you do with a geography major? No, I knew I, was, I, I wanted to be a wrestling coach. So um, oh, well, okay. then I ended up fighting. I thought I was going to be a college wrestling coach at Mizzou where I wrestled at. Um, that was MMA. You know, when I went to college, MMA wasn't even a thing. I went to college in 2002. That was like the dark ages of mixed martial arts. And, you know, MMA didn't become a, a real thing. Probably for people to do like 2005, six, seven is when it really started happening. Yeah, so I thought I was gonna be a college wrestling coach, and you know now uh, that Max and I, my brother, that's my brother, we opened wrestling academy in 2011. Now we have five of them. I wish I would have went to school for business because I had to learn a lot of the lessons the hard way. Unfortunately, when you were wrestling, you're you know dominating, kicking ass. What was your record? 153 and six. Do I have that right? College was one fifty three and eight. And I lost seven times this. Well, this guy actually, the guy who's at my house on Saturday because he's the head coach at Oregon State now, <laughs> and he's recruiting some of our athletes. So I lost eight times and I lost seven times to the same guy. That motherfucker. Yeah, I joke. If he didn't exist, I'm the second greatest college wrestler of all time. <laughs> okay, so while you are still, in fact, crushing it, but MMA pops up on the scene. What were like your first? memories of being like wait what's happening over here what is mma especially with like what mma was then versus what it's turned into now my very very first memory i remember my dad brought home a vhs tape the first mma uh, first ufc was 1993 so i'm guessing it was 93 94 95 something more close to the very beginning and it was like bizarre, you know, at that point they were doing the eight men enter one man's leaves as if, uh, you know, seven of them are dying or something. That's some like pro wrestling shit right there. I yeah, like it. Yeah, it really is. But that's why I got banned everywhere is because, you know, they had this type of thing going on. So then it obviously went through like that, that dark period where it was get, getting banned. It only was legal in, I think, four states by the late 90s, you know, everywhere banned it. And then Zufa bought it in 2002. And then, you know, it, it took them a while to, to get it going again. So I do remember in college, probably not the first couple of years, but probably towards the end, me and a lot of my college teammates would, you know, get together and and whether it was like finding the VHS or sorry, VHS, DVD at that point, DVD after the fact or buying some of the pay-per-views, we would definitely do that. And we definitely enjoyed it as a team. And obviously a handful of guys from that team ended up going on and fighting. Yeah, just like those early years of something happening, it's it's really cool to be able to see something progress the way that it has like right before our very eyes especially like I mean I'll always be like a homer for like the women's division and seeing how far that stuff has come holy crap it's crazy 
But before we get into more MMA stuff, one thing I just wanted to run back to is when you were a kid and had to drop 30 pounds to like get you where you needed to be to like really hone your body, hone your athleticism. What was that like going through that at like such a young age is I guess maybe easier so, so this is the thing my wife is like, sometimes I just decide I'm going to do something and I just do it and I don't think much about it. And then, you know, 15 years later, you're like, wow, that's pretty unique. So as an 11 year old kid, I was, I was fat, fat for sure. Like you can look at the pictures in the book. Like I was not like I was skinny. So I didn't, uh, I, it wasn't like I was cutting weight in a sense. So in wrestling, cutting weight means like a, a quick drop, like you're sweating, that type of stuff. It's very scary. I would be terrible at it. No one would want to be around me. <laughs> yes, that, that happens. Um, but uh, no, so I, I was just fat and I needed to, I wanted to lose weight and I wanted to be in shape. So yeah, I made the commitment to stop doing a whole bunch of things that I knew were unhealthy, like say drinking soda, eating fast food, et cetera, et cetera. So I just told my parents, hey, I'm not, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. And yeah, I lost 30 pounds and I didn't get back to 130 pounds. So that was like going into sixth grade. Um, and then I didn't get back to 130 pounds until my sophomore year of high school. Wow. You know, unfortunately, I think there's too many kids and adults, uh, for that matter, these days that live really unhealthy lives and have unhealthy diets. I know, like, you should love yourself for you and that and that shenanigans. But um, just from like a longevity standpoint, being fat is really, really bad for you. Like, bad for your health, bad for your longevity, kind of bad for everything. Like, we we sh- we should strive to be as healthy as possible. Um, that means eating right and working out and. You know, listen, I don't have an amazing physique and I got a little fat when I had my hip surgery, but I'm at like a nice healthy weight and I I plan on staying here for the rest of my life. Listen, you had a hip surgery very young in life. I think you're allowed to pack on a couple (laughs) Uh, pounds. Did you feel like it? (laughs) Should you feel like it? But no, I agree with you. It's like, you know, just getting up and moving your body. Like, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, same situation of like, hey, look the way you want to look, feel the way you want to feel. But I know that I feel best when I'm moving around, I'm doing stuff. I'm like my mind body awareness is just at like a, a much better spot. God, I love a bag of chips, though, <laughs> but hey, we all have our vices. We all have our vices. Um, okay, so you enter the MMA world. What are some of like the big differences between working Bellator, one championship, and then eventually uh, landing at UFC? I wouldn't say like from a fighting standpoint, there's really that much of a difference. You know, at the end of the day, they lock you in some type of cage. Uh, they have different shapes because, you know, yes, you won't let anyone use octagon. So they have slightly different shapes. But um, at the end of the day, the cage door locks and you have to fight another person. It's not like there's 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 a few little tiny different rules, um, but not not too much different. Um, I think for me, the fun thing with with Bellator One Championship was I, I got to see those organizations grow from their infancy. And obviously, by the time I was in the UFC, um, you know, they were huge, right? And I had, I'd also cornered a lot of people through the years. So I kind of knew what to expect when I got to the UFC. But yeah, Bellator, I think I fought in Bellator 14. And I think they're on, I'll, let me look it up so I don't mess this up. Bellator, they're on Bellator like 288. You know, so wow. I started, yeah. Oh so gosh. I was like, I was, I was set. They, at that point, they did seasons. They did like 12 or 13 episodes per season. I was in season two. So I was like in the infancy of Bellator and then one championship. They're probably also on like uh, I would say probably uh, on a similar number type of thing, you know. Yeah, in they've the, got to be up maybe there. close to two hundred. They're, they're on one sixty two, and I think I was on Bell one uh, FC fourteen. So, um, you know, I got to see these organizations start from the infancy and grow up, and now, you know, they're arguably two and three in the world. Um, they've kind of been there for a while, so I, I think that was really cool. 
So you thought you were going to be hanging up your boots when you're in Singapore, uh, wrapping it up with one championship only to go swerve. You're getting traded for Demetrius Johnson. Was that a mind fuck to you? I mean, I know UFC, of course, must have been that like, I got to go do this. But when you mentally are like, I'm retiring, did you truly believe you were retiring? Or was this that MMA thing where you're like, I know I'm going to come back? No, no, I retired. I mean, I, th- I thought there was a slim chance um, of of so much, you know, my demands. Uh, and if you know, I don't know if you call them demands. I didn't, I didn't send anything specifically, but I just said, hey, if I'm going to come back, it's because I want to be try to be the best in the world. I don't want to make any more money or have any more fights to be famous. I just want I want to fight the best guys. Because when I left Bellator in 2013, I thought I was going to be head of the UFC. I was ranked number seven in the world. The contract didn't work out. I talk about that in the book. And so I went to one championship. Uh, I was there undefeated for another four years. Um, and, you know, essentially I said, like, you know, I've kind of done everything I can do. Um, and I don't feel like I have any challenges. And I, I have read a lot of athletic biographies. I know everyone hangs on too long. So I want to be done. So I said, yeah. I'm done. And I, and I meant it. And I said, the only way I'd ever come back is to do the only thing I never got to do, which is fight the guys ranked above me. You know, I fought guys who were 10, 12, 14, but I never fought, you know, five, six, those, those ones. And so that's the only reason I'll come back. And so um, I thought there was a slim chance of it happening. I thought probably the most likely scenario would be one championship chooses to release me and then I could go and sign with the UFC or so, something to that effect. Uh, maybe one FC, maybe they assign some big uh, welterweight name and he's ranked four and I come back and I fight him because, you know, that's what I said I would do. I thought that was, you know, probably more of a possibility. So the trade was not really something that I thought. But yeah, I mean, the second I heard about it, I was super excited because, yeah, I mean, I fought in mixed martial arts for nine years and never got the opportunity. I mean, that's one of the things that sucks. I, I like fighting, but there are some, in my opinion, negative things about it. And one of them is what Shell Sutton likes to call competitive architecture. So in amateur wrestling, if you think you're the best in America, you go wrestle at the U.S. Open. It's open to anybody, you know? And if you're the best, you're going to win. And then you know what? America's going to send you to the world championships. And everyone's going to be there. And if you're the best, you're going to win. And you're going to be the best in the world. But in MMA, because of different contracts and different organizations, sometimes you don't get to see that. For many years, you know, something like, like uh, Makachev, who just won the lightweight title, you know, some people were saying he was the best in 2018. Well, it took him till 2022 to get a title shot. The business side gets in the way sometimes. Yes, the business side gets in the way. And so, you know, if I could change MMA there, and I realize because of the contracts and the organizations, the difficulty in doing this, but it would be like, hey, every single year, we're going to find out who the best is. We're going to throw everyone in there. We're going to figure it out. I, you know, I would have to design the way to do it, but I think, that, I think everyone would love to see that because in wrestling, no one says, oh, I'm the best in the world, and they don't go win the world. Everyone would be like, no. Like, if you think you're the best, go wrestle. If you're retired or you're done, then you don't get to say you're the best anymore. See <laughs> yeah, you it's unforgiving. Get out there and do it or zip it. 100%. Soraya, part three. The only time that there's been a thrice done interview with somebody. But it's crazy to think that like, okay, the first time you were on the show, you were still signed to WWE. Second time was that time in between when it was sort of like, what's going to happen? What does the future hold? Freedom was just like at your fingertips. And now here you are signed to uh, All Elite Wrestling. We both are. Who saw that one on the old bingo card, right? (laughs) Not us, right? 
Well, first of all, um, it's favoritism, you guys. I'm on here, as you know. Like, she doesn't really care. It's just friendship things. She's doing me a favor. You know what I mean? I always care. Listen, I care about all of it. No, no I'm just kidding. She doesn't. I care. care. She really does. I care. AW social media the other day, I was like, no, you are not going to bury Renee Young. Oh, sorry, Renee Packett. Ooh. <laughs> It's funny when those slips happen because I'm like so not offended if somebody calls me Renee Young, but I know it's such like a knee jerk reaction to like say that. Is it like that for you? Still not saying Paige? Yeah, people backstage at AW still call me Paige and they instantly like feel bad about it. I'm like, don't feel bad. I had like over 11 years of people calling me Paige. Even I get confused. Like when I was doing the signing the other day, like people want me to sign Soraya, which is which is absolutely fine. But I'm so used to just signing Paige or the fans are like so respectful and they come as well. They're just like, do you mind if I still call you Paige? It's just how I've known you. I was like, you can call me whatever you want. You can call me bitch. But I've been called every name under the sun. Nothing offends me like that. Um, okay, so a lot has happened since we did this last interview, um, just in terms, of course, of you signing to AEW, medically where you're at. You are now like back in the wrestling business. But I think like to me, the main thing to talk about right off the bat is the medical side of things. As soon as you signed to AEW, that really was like the big question mark about the whole thing. I mean, storyline wise, what's happening? I think there was like a lot of that just sort of swirling around. Fans were kind of chomping at the bit about that. And now here we are. So let's hash all that out. Like coming into AEW Festival, you know, you were a big part of that because, you know, I was just like, I want to go where my friend goes yeah. to. But also it's not like the big picture. But like, um, yeah, when it comes to like signing with AEW, I remember telling you, I was like, I'm not really 100% no, like knowing what I'm going to be doing there. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I really don't understand. I just know that I'm going to go there to help the division in some way, whether I'm on TV or behind the scenes. Like, you know, I'm just there to try and help as much as possible. Even if the division is doing really well, it could always be elevated. Of you know? course, it's always good to have other minds and other perspectives on things. you got to kind of look at everything from like a million different angles. Right. And that's why they got Madison and stuff like that, too, to just like she's part of the show, but she's also a big help from behind the scenes and stuff. So when I came in, I wasn't a, I didn't really know like what the deal was. I just know that I was going to be a part of something and we're going to build something special here. But then when I got there, got the great reaction when I walked out and I was like, oh, my God. And you cannot for a wrestler out there and like tell them that they can't do anything else. You know what I mean? Like I came to terms with not being able to wrestle anymore and that's fine. Although I did a couple of years, a couple of years ago, I did uh, do some x-rays and they were looking great. Right. But I didn't do the full MRI, but I did the x-rays a couple of years ago. And it's not like the perfect read on, on your neck and stuff like that, you know, with the whole fluid thing, but. Exactly. Yeah. So x-ray is just of the bones and then MRI, you can see everything like all the inner workings of your neck like like the important part you know that they, they can see exactly like how much fluid is around there like they can see it's really crazy how an mri works and a ct scan too like this is all the, kind of in the same family but i was like i just did the x-rays because i was a little nervous about doing the mri a couple of years ago so i was just like okay they're looking good maybe in a couple of years i'll start getting uh, like you know it starts getting better but i'm like i'm not gonna rush it because edge was out for like nine years Stone Cold had that match with Kevin Owens, but he didn't bump very much, you know, like it was like very limited, but they still had a, like an amazing match. So that was like inspiring to me. And I'm like, man, with Vince taking the taking that bump as a cherry on top of the whole exactly thing. right. <laughs> and I was like, man, like I, I probably could pull off doing a Stone Cold match. Right. And that it was just like in my head. 
And I was just like, you know, like, because the match, you wouldn't think that there was an amount, like a crazy amount of bumps because the story that they told was so fantastic. And Kevin And they went all around the stadium. Exactly. I was like, well, maybe we can do something like that. So I remember like throwing the idea at Tony. And then he was just like, you know, like with Sting coming in, we kind of like, you know, uh, we did tag matches. So he was like, well, maybe we can do some tag matches. And I was just like, "Mm." you know, if I was to come back, I would want it to be a singles match. So I remember talking to the doctors. And they were like, okay, you can do this, but we're not going to like clear you to take a bump. And that's the, the whole misconception with like how the internet works is, oh, she talked to like 25 doctors and AW doctor, Dr. Sampson cleared it. He didn't clear me for anything. First of all, I went out there with Brit and we did our own thing. Like I didn't ask clearance from the doctor there. I'm going to be honest. And, you know, and th- he was cool with it. He was like, just please don't take a bump. Right. Not ready to take bumps yet. Anyway. So he was like, if, if, you want to actually have matches like we have to get you completely cleared. That means MRI, CT scans, everything. So he was just I was like, OK, well, I don't want to go to a doctor which is associated with wrestling. Right. Because I feel like there's a little bit of bias there. And I'm just like, I don't want to make the same mistake where I came back and then I was like wrestling every single day and just like doing all these crazy things. I'm like, no, I really want to be aware and careful of my neck this time around. Like I really want to get to like the nitty gritty of what my neck looks like and how much I can do. And if I'm even going to be paralyzed, because that was the biggest scare is that if I did wrestle, I could potentially get paralyzed. So Halloween, the perfect day, right? I went to the doctor here in California, one of the best doctors around. He did a bunch of NFL, um, NBA, all these huge action stars like celebrities like actors and actresses and all that kind of fun stuff so i was like well if anyone's going to tell me like no like this guy's going to tell me no right because he's fantastic and you know his job is on the line if he just lets someone go back to work so yeah i got that x-rays done and he was just like these look great but we still have to triple check so let's get the ct scans mri and he managed to squeeze them in the same day Right. So I went downstairs for the MRI. I went across the street for the CT scan. I brought them back all in the same like hour. So it was like very quick. And then he sat there and went through them all. And he was just like, you're cleared. And I just like burst into tears. I was like, are you serious? So I started asking questions like, well, what about the fluid around my neck? And I remember seeing my last MRI with the fluid. I'm, I'm not saying I'm a fucking doctor or anything, but like I've, I've seen a few MRIs and I'm like, there seems to be fluid around that area. So like, that's why I asked, I was like, what's the deal there? And then he was just like, well, the fluid is back. He was just like, the fusions look perfect. He was like, there's no fractures above and below. There's no issues. I was like, okay, let's talk about paralysis though. Like, and he was like, it's rare. If you get kicked there, he was like, you have some cushion now. He was like, you know, and if you ever feel like you're not feeling too well, he was like, take some time off. He was like, you know, your body. He was just like, but I will clear you to get back in the ring again. And I was just like, all right, well, how many matches can I have? And he was like, let's take it easy. You know, we'll do like one match a month here and there, you know, and then gradually start building it up. But yeah, so the, long story short, Halloween is when I got like the full clearance. I called my parents. I was crying my eyes out, which I screenshot a picture. I think I sent it to you. From the doctor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I actually sent it to you. And um, did I? I think I did. Yeah, you did. It was like, it's such a beautiful moment. And then Ronnie's there and he, he's just like, you know, he's been with me the whole time that I haven't been wrestling. So he's never actually seen me wrestle before. Crazy. Yeah. So he's just like, I have to go watch you wrestle? Like, what the fuck? And then he's just like, been like, don't do this, don't do that. He was just like naming all these moves. And I'm like, trust me, I'm going to be fine. 
I'm not going to be like going, you know, absolutely crazy. But I also don't want to be held back either. Like I'm fully aware of what I can and can't do. No, I'm not going to get kicked in the back of the head again, you know, which was my fault, you guys. Again, that was my fault. And then the first person I text as well was Mercedes, Sasha. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. What was that conversation like? So I text her. She was one of the first people I text because I'm like, of all that stuff, like that can mentally fuck someone up to like end someone's career. And a lot of people like pitched us against each other after that. Like all her fans would attack me, all my fans would, well not all my fans, there's a very small percentage, but they would attack each other and they're always the loudest, right? So like they were just going at it and they still go at it and then, you know, they still send me like tweets being like, I'm so happy Sasha broke your neck. And then people are like, like tweeting at her being like, how dare you end someone's career? You're unsafe. She's not unsafe. It's just, it's an accident. It happens in wrestling. That's what we sign up for. But I told her and I was just like, I just want to let you know. I can probably read the text actually. Um, Ooh, exclusive, exclusive. She was so sweet too. I just said, Hey sis, I just want to let you know this since I know this whole thing was really tough on you mentally, but my doctor just cleared me and told me my neck is 100% ready to go. I haven't told anyone else, but I know this will make you feel good. I'm back. Ha ha. And she just like was like, I'm so happy. You know, she was like over the moon and stuff like that. And I just said to her, I was like, I don't want you to feel bad anymore. I had that period of time away and actually was for the best in the long run because I had time to really focus on myself get healthy, get sober, start branching out and doing other things, you know. And so, yeah, I just felt like it was meant to be. And, you know, I my neck healed in record time, you know, it's five years and, and I'm officially back. And I think that's pretty fucking inspiring. It really gives me like goosebumps to be having this conversation. I mean, you and I have obviously been talking about this prior to this exact moment, but it's like, man, for you to go out, get cleared the way that you did, to now be assigned to AEW and like, shit, the world is your oyster. Like you are a professional wrestler that can now wrestle again. Like, God, do you feel this like new lease on life to be able to like get back to you? Yeah. So I thought I was like extremely happy before, but being told like the thing that I've worked my whole life in and being told I can do it again, it just elevated my mood even more. Like I'm a pretty positive person anyway. Like I started getting more positive, you know, and, and just being told and getting that letter. I sent you the letter too. Yeah. Where it says she's cleared to wrestle. And I was like, putting out, framing that bad boy. And it says like with no, no restrictions. That's like the big part too, is like no restrictions. And I was just like, holy shit. And I sent that to you too. And I was like, oh my God, like I cannot believe this. So like, I don't know. After that, I just been so like, over the moon on fucking cloud nine. Like not only is my life personally working out, but my work life now is back to where I want it to be. And it's like even more so, like I'm doing other things outside of wrestling too. And I'm just like, things just work out for a reason. And I'm just happy that I stayed in a good mindset because if it was years before, I probably would be fucking just, I mean, not in a good place. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, shit, you and I have been friends for the last decade or whatever from we first started in WWE and to see those ups and those downs and all of those things that you have been through. I mean, there's stuff behind closed doors that people don't know that you've been through. There's a lot of stuff that's very public that everybody knows that you went through. And like to have this 
victory to have this like win for you just feels like it, it really feels like that like the world is like repaying you you're like back in like you're back in the good graces and you know what's really cool is that we both started doing things at the same time remember we were just like i love that things are happening for both of us like it was like very similar things as well like we were, we were kind of going through that rut where we just like weren't really doing as much like i had my stream you had your podcast and your and your cookbook and stuff like that but it was just like you know, we kind of like felt like we were in that rut of like oh i feel like i can be doing more you know yeah you're kind of like spinning your wheels as it's like what does the and you know when you're growing up in the spotlight to a degree and you're busy doing stuff that when you kind of step away from that and you're trying to like kind of find your place in the world again of like, what am I doing? What am I bringing to the table? What does the future look like for me? And you start to look at life so differently of like, what are my other options? What are the things that I'm bringing to the table? And now I think for both of us to be like back in the world of professional wrestling and like the capacities that each of us are, like, I know for me, it feels like, kind of feels like I was like putting a puzzle together and like, I just couldn't get the fucking last piece to fit. It like kind of went, but it wasn't that perfect fit. And now it just feels like everything settled into place the way that it's supposed to. And I love your role more in AEW because I feel like you have like this more of a character here. <laughs> well, I mean, when I got to get between you and Brett, I don't have a choice. No, but I love it. I'm like, oh my gosh, Renee should be GM. Like, I feel like you would fit that role so perfectly. And like, you get to have more freedom with how you do these interviews too. Like just us kind of like switching stuff up like thanks to john your husband too though you know like i want to your husband oh my god man he's been an absolute saint for this whole thing because after like the first promo when i kind of was just like i don't know if i can do this okay let's talk about that though because okay so first things first before we get to the promo let's talk about you debuting at arthur ash and like what that moment felt like for you because you were like I mean, just from the, literally the beginning of you being ushered into the building and nobody knew you were there. Secrets are so rare in this company or in this in this uh, business. Um, I feel like everything eventually gets leaked. So the fact that this was not and shout out to uh, to Muda, because I feel like Muda being there kind of everyone thought that's what was out big time, like walking backstage. I'm just like, thank you. You know, everyone just thinks it's yeah. so people knew that there was someone there, but they didn't see thought it was Muda. Right. So. I was just like, oh, perfect. And they put me in this room and then, well, trying to get in there, first of all, they gave me like a shirt, like a tennis shirt. And like, I had my sunglasses and then they had like security, like all around me, you know? And the only, first of all, the only people that knew were obviously Tony and his lawyer and um, you, John, Jericho and Britt until like the day of, she was still being like, well, are you coming? And I was still trying to keep it a little bit secret from her too. Cause I'm like, I still want to surprise some people, you know, but I was like, so like, uh, I remember just being like, this has to be kept secret. And I remember us talking about it being like, it would just be such a big deal if this just wasn't leaked. And it was such a nice big surprise. And so, um, yeah, I got there and then they rushed me through like, and I had to rush through where all everyone was too, right by catering. Everyone was in the hallways and then I remember seeing Claudio and um, Pac, right? So I was like, I saw them and I really wanted to say hi to them because they're just really nice people. And I remember like not thinking and I look up at Neville and or Pac and I'm just like, hey, hey, like, you know, like going to say hi. And then the security guy just pushed my head down. Just 
like, no. And then he's like looking at me like, and I turn around for a second and then he's just like, what the fuck? Like, did anyone else see that kind of thing? You know? And so like, I get shoved into this room. There was no toilet in there, right? And we were in there for a couple of hours. It was fucking hot. There was no mirror. There was no nothing. And there was no food. And so you had to run and go to catering for me to find some food and stuff. And the room was right where um, Gorilla, which in AW is the go position. So like, I couldn't walk out even if I wanted to because people, there was so much traffic there. So I was just like, man, like we are stuck here. And then everyone that came to the door was like cracked a little bit, but you came and you were hanging out for a while, you know, and then uh, John comes said hello, Jericho comes said hello. And then we finally like let Brit know too. And, but then um, the girls didn't know until just before they walked out for their match. I remember being like, okay, bring the girls in. And they were all just like, what the fuck? Like, you know, like Athena and stuff. They were just like, what the fuck? Like, why didn't you tell us? And I'm just like, I don't want it leaked. I was like, I trust people. I really do. But like, you tell one person you trust, they tell one person they trust, and then it just spirals. So I'm just like, I'd rather- The old tele-wrestler. Yeah, telephone tele-wrestler. That's exactly what they they say. (laughs) So I'm just like, absolutely fucking not. So, um, but yeah, like I got too hot in there. And like during the match, I just walked out. So I got to see a lot of people before I walked out. And then a lot of people were shocked, like Malenko and stuff. They were just like- what the fuck? I'm like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> How about the last minute, like, stress of knowing if you were going to be able to have Ronnie's music to be able to use Zombified from falling in reverse? That whole thing, too, because, you know, Ronnie's label, there's a bunch of people there. And then, you know, then legal in AEW. So 10 minutes before I was actually initially supposed to just walk out there, they were just like, Meech came in. Meech is mine and Renee's manager, right? He came in and he was just like, oh, I don't think we can use Ronnie's music. And I'm like, are you shitting me, bro? I was like, absolutely not. Like, I can't just change the music. Like, this is the music. And it's not because it was like Ronnie's song. I'm just like, this is the perfect song. So I was just like, fuck. So then I text Tony and Tony's in the middle of like running the show. Like the show is live right now. And he's in the go position at the monitors. You know, he's like fucking hundred miles an hour because people are asking questions. And I text him and straight away, he like got me in this group chat with legal and was just like, let's get this song done. And within like two minutes, like done. Yeah. They come running in there being like, okay, we got it done. That happened so fast. It went from being like, holy shit, what are you going to come out to, to two seconds later? Never mind, Everything's done and sorted. And thank God. How, how did that happen? So I also text Ronnie too. Uh, Ronnie couldn't be there this time because he had to do rehearsals. He was about to do a show, right? A festival. So he, I was texting with him being like, oh my God, babe, like, they're not going to let me use the song. And then he was just like, I got this. So he's doing his side and Tony's doing his side. And within like minutes, they got it done. So I was just like, oh, thank God. Ronnie was like, let her use it for free for the first one. You know, like we'll figure it out later on. So I'm just like, oh my gosh, thank gosh. So you walk out, crowd goes fucking berserk. Holy shit. What like was going through your head then? At first, I was like, is everyone going to know it's me because of Soraya, right? And then there's going to be some people that know it's me because of Ronnie's song. You know, like there's a handful of people that know Ronnie and I are together and that's, they know his music, you know. So walking out and they didn't see my name at first, I was like, oh, that's like, everyone's like, there's a whole question mark going on out there. It was like quiet. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then once I actually, like my name popped up, there was like an initial like yell. And then as I walked out, the crowd just fucking erupted. And I was just like, holy crap. Like, this is the loudest people have been for me ever. 
I was just like, this is so fucking crazy. And this is a second comeback initially, you know what I mean? So, and people don't know why I'm there, but they're just happy that I was there. So like, I come walking down the ramp and I'm just like, how do I do this? I was just like, you've been there so many years and you really do like, you forget. Like I've been watching my old matches back. I'm like, I forgot what I even do. I get in the ring and then I'm used to like how WWE had set things up. So like usually baby faces are on the opposite side. So I'm like pointing at the heels, like, yeah, I'm here, motherfuckers. And then I'm like trying to point to the baby face. I'm like, where the fuck are they? Right. And I'm just like trying to make it look not obvious. So I'm like looking around to the crowd and like kind of scanning. Like, I'm like, where the fuck are they? Where is Tony and Athena? And then like, I'm an idiot and they're right in front of me, you know, where hard cam would be. And I'm just like, oh, there you are. And I'm like, you want to get in here? Like, you know, so it was just really surreal and it was like fantastic. I got back. Everyone was like so wonderful and just welcoming. And, you know, me and Tony scream at each other like, that's fucking Gary. You know, like, this is awesome. Like, this is an incredible feeling. And my phone was like lit up. I was just like, there's no way. I can look at this all, but it was all very supportive. Even social media was really nice until a week later. <laughs> and then it all kind of turned a little bit. I was like, oh man. And then I remember texting you with the following week and just being like, Renee, I don't know if I can handle this. And you kind of took me off the ledge a little. Well, let's talk about that because that is like, okay, so you come out, crowd goes fucking nuts. Everyone's so pumped that you're there. Cut to the second week, you come out, you do a promo, you and Britt are kind of like nose to nose. We now know that that's where things are headed. And you've also not done this for like five years. Even when WWE was bringing you in as GM, um, you weren't there all the time. Like you weren't out there cutting promos and stuff all that often. So to now be back in this world, which again, yeah, it's a different world AEW and WWE are run differently. You're thrown in the deep end. We're out there and we're making it happen. And then the fans got up in arms about the whole thing. And I didn't even think it was like that awful. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I don't think it was that bad. Like watching it back, I was like, I don't think it's that bad. But there is some fans on the internet where it's like, if you go over to AEW from WWE, they fucking hate your guts. That's it. You're toast. You're dead to them. And they make it known and they go crazy. And I was like, I said to you, I was like, I haven't seen this level of toxicity in a very fucking long time. Like, it is crazy. Like, I can't even look at my social media. I made the rookie mistake of looking at it after the promo and people just fucking buried me. And like, I didn't know what the fuck I was going to say. There's no plan with these promos either. Like, you have to go out there and say whatever. But but I also don't know what I'm supposed to say. Like, what am I doing here? Like, what am I supposed to say? Like, what is the plan? I don't know. So I'm just like, oh, fuck. Well, I can make that revolution. And then like, Once I got out there, like the nerves just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was just like, and I don't want to make excuses for it. I really don't. Like I fucked up. It is what it is. But I started stumbling my words and stuff. I mean, saying fucked up is like drastic. It's not like you went out there and said something wrong or bad or like, you know, you went out and it was just like, shit, you've not done it in a minute. And you're just in a new world and you're like readjusting. People are just very unforgiving in those situations. So unforgiving. Yeah. And they throw away like everything that you've done previously <laughs> just from that one thing. And I'm like, no, what's with that? In other days, you used to say I was so fucking good. Like when I was like doing promos against like Charlotte or me and AJ were going back and forth, you know, like, or me and Nikki Bella. It was always like, oh yeah, like we, we love her. And you know, like, but then as soon as I like don't deliver a promo that's a hundred percent to their taste or they just don't like it. And that is what it is. Like people can have opinions. They really can. 
It's just, just don't the way try that to they... like chop your head off over it. Like, dude, shit. they try to fucking like, like fucking, you know, Game of Thrones, like shame me for the fucking crowd. I'm just like, calm down. You're like spitting on me, throwing rocks at me right now. Like, calm down. And I'm just like, so like, what, what did that all do to you though? Like on like a real level in terms of like joining AEW, joining a women's division with like some women that you've never even met before and circumstances you've never been in before to now having like the fans not be as like receptive as you would have assumed that they would be. Yeah, it was, uh, okay, so the girls backstage were fantastic. I never have any issues with them. They were so welcoming, they were so sweet and they were just like happy that I was there and they were just, they were just, just really wonderful. And even up until now, they've still been really wonderful. Um, so the whole thing about like toxicity backstage there, I'm like, I'm confused because I haven't witnessed it yet. You know, like the girls have been pretty welcoming to us, right? Like really sweet. I mean, that also just exists everywhere. I don't know why it's so blown out of proportion as like, that's everywhere. It's not, I don't find it any different than anywhere else, honestly. I mean, if you're going to be around people 24 seven, you're going to have arguments. It is what it is. You're going to shout. Sure, like- everyone's competitive. Like it's just the way it goes. Yeah, so I'm just like the what I expected. I was like, it's not that bad. It's really not that bad. Um, but yeah, so but the, uh, the whole thing after the promo, there, I was just like, holy crap! And like in in me, I wish I didn't even say the boss thing because, like, you know, I feel like they got confused with Triple H, and Triple H has always been a fantastic boss to me. Like, I really enjoyed my time in NXT. I always had the best matches at NXT too. Like I had so much fun there and he, he always did listen to me. So I feel like people got a little confused with that. And it's really like, and I was just trying to do character stuff. It wasn't anything like personal, you know? So and I, I, people already know when I do interviews, like I talk nothing but positivity about WWE in my time there. And, you know, I have nothing against them. So like, but people just hung on to that too. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like, I'm like, people just like, I can't fucking breathe. So I got to a point where I was texting you and I'm just like, I don't know if I can fucking do this. Like, did I make a mistake? Like, what am I doing coming back to wrestling? Like, are you serious? Like, I had such a peaceful life before. Well, and that's the thing, too, is like when you're home and like the community that you've been able to create for yourself and like the Twitch world and like, yeah, you live in a world of like curated peace, essentially. So when you're like thrown out of that, it is jarring to the system to like, yeah, you're like, why did I sign up to have people be mean to me? What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, it's crazy. But like, luckily, you know, Tony is also a fantastic boss too. So he just kind of like, even if he delivers something bad, he's always like very encouraging anyway. You know, he's just like, oh, I still think it's good. You know, like next week we're going to do, we're going to do something better. And so, you know, he's just always like very encouraging. So I'm like, okay, like that helps a lot. But um, talking, like I talk to you about literally everything. Anytime I'm just like, just let me have a second, Renee, you know, and I'll, I'll hit you with it. And then even recently I, te- I text you like, I'm just like, I feel like I'm not delivering what I can like a hundred percent. And I just feel like I'm like, I get in my head too much. And I'm just like, and I'm not reading social media these days. Is it so different too, when you think of like, not only being away from the business for a long time, like, yes, you were signed to WWE up until really recently, but you had not been on the road. You had not been, you know, on camera in any capacity really with WWE for quite some time to now, you know, you go from being like a 25 year old woman going through your injury, being sidelined, thinking you're hanging up the boots, your career in the ring is done to now as like a 30 year old woman, you're a different person than you were. Then you can't just go out and be page. That's not the same thing. So it's like, mentally is that something that you find that you're kind of going through of like 
who are you now in this world? So I have to try and evolve who Paige was, you know, because like, again, like I'm not 25 anymore. I'm not, you know, I don't have my piercings and my gauges in anymore. You know, like I'm not, I even have to rethink my wrestling gigs. I even said to you, I was just like, hey, I like to have my cleavage out, you know, just little, you know, here and there, but I'm like wrestling and cleavage. But back when I was wrestling this page, like I would have it all out. We wear double bras to bring these puppies up, right? But <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I remember texting you, I'm just like, Renee, like, you know, like I'm 30 now, you know, I, but at the same time, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just, I've evolved so much. I've matured a lot more, you know, and um, when it comes to travel, like I want to be in and out of places. Like I'm not one to like go for drinks afterwards and stuff like I used to. I'm just like, or just hang out, you know, like it's not because I'm being anti-socialist because, you know, first of all, I'm focusing on myself. Like I don't want to even have my, put myself in a scenario where there is a bunch of alcohol, you know, and, you know, I, I'm like, oh, only one. Like, I, I'm just like, no, I'd rather not even like think about that. So I'm always like, you know, in and out as fast as I can when it comes to the shows and stuff like that. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking Having this interview, having a hangout, it's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.